2 Corinthians chapter number 8, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded into the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us, that with much entreaty we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. This they did, not as we hope, but gave first of their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and in knowledge and in all diligence and in love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this particular text that you have uh, directed our heart to. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to deliver the burden that you placed upon our heart concerning these verses. And, Lord, that we would get a better view of Calvary and get a better, better view of what you did for us. And what you do, we'll thank you and we'll give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I know we preached from 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 on last Sunday night. And so we understand this is uh, Paul writing the second recorded letter, the second recorded letter, but he's actually written three letters to this Corinthian church. We do not have a record of that third letter. The reason we do not, God didn't want us to have that. He did not put it in the canon of the scripture. That doesn't bother me whatsoever. We have everything that God wanted us to have. And in these verses, beginning in chapter number 8, uh, uh, really beginning in chapter number 8, chapter number 9, he is speaking about the subject of giving. In fact, by way of introduction for the sake of context, in verses 1 through 5, Paul gives the word, the church, a word about giving. And he used the churches of Macedonia as an example. He said, I'm going to tell you what those churches of Macedonia did. They gave during a great trial. They were in a deep, a discouraging, difficult place, but they gave beyond their power. And Paul wanted Make sure that he emphasized this in verse number 5. But first gave their own selves to the Lord and, not, and unto us by the will of God. In other words, he said before they ever put their check or their love offering in the offering plate, if you would, first they gave of themselves. And I would admonish us all this morning that before we reach for our wallet and put that in the offering plate, we ourselves need to get in the offering plate. Because if you get in the offering plate, God's got your wallet, He's got your keys, He's got your house. He's got everything you have. God wants all of you, not part of you. So he gives them a word about giving. And then in verses 6, 7, and 8, he gives a word about growing. He says, now look, he said, he said, insomuch we desired Titus as he had begun, so he would also finish you the same grace. Now watch what he says about growing. Therefore as ye abound, as you're growing in everything, he said, you've got faith. 
and utterance and knowledge and all diligence and love. He said, you need this giving. You need this grace giving. That's what he's talking about in this text. Some people call it faith promise. Some people call it grace giving. I, I don't care what you call it. Just do it, all right? Uh, but anyway, he said, you need, you've got all these other things in line, but you need this same grace that they had to give. In other words, he said, you don't need to stay satisfied where you're at spiritually, but you need to grow in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And we're to grow in grace. And I hope that I'm not the same place spiritually right now that I was 10 years ago. We all should be growing. But this morning, I, I want to take this one verse. Paul gives a word about giving. Paul gives a word about growing. But in verse number 9, Paul gives a word about grace. And if you don't mind this morning, I would like to lift up this verse and I would like to look at this verse. Paul says in this verse, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Thank God for His amazing grace this morning. We know John 1.14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And He was full of grace and truth. Romans 3.24 says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that which was with me. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that the dying ungodliness and worldly lust, we shall live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. And we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, where sin abounds grace did much more abound amen God is able to make all grace abound toward you he told Paul my grace is sufficient for thee the Bible said that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man James said he giveth more grace amen the Bible said but the God of all grace he is a God of amazing grace it's amazing grace, adequate grace, grace, affectionate grace, abundant grace, abounding grace, blessing grace, beautiful grace. It's the believer's grace. It's calling grace, comforting grace. It's the church's grace. It's dependable grace, directing grace. And when you get ready to die, He'll give you dying grace. It's eternal grace. It's effective grace. It has been extended grace. It is favored grace, faithful grace, free grace. It is great grace, good grace, God's grace good gracious amen it is helping grace it is holy grace honorable grace inspiring grace increasing grace it was imputed grace it's joyous grace it's Jesus grace amen it's Josh's grace amen it's keeping grace kindling grace knowing grace it's loving grace lasting grace lifting grace it's the Lord's anybody listen to me it's the Lord's grace it's marvelous grace measured grace the master's grace and it's my grace it's now grace. It's nighttime grace. It's needed grace. It's never ending grace. And one day there'll be new grace that I've not needed before. It's ordained grace. It's offered grace. It's obtained grace. It's overwhelming grace.
healing grace. It's peaceful grace, powerful grace, provided grace, patient grace, present grace, pursuing grace, and perpetual grace. It is quickening grace. Quality grace, quenching grace, ready grace, real grace, righteous grace, and redeeming grace. It is saving grace, sufficient grace, strong grace, sure grace, sure enough grace. And I'm shouting about grace, amen. It's true grace, testifying grace, treasured grace, unbelievable, unending, undeserving grace. It is victorious, vital, visiting, wonderful, walking, worshiping, warring. And there's grace for the weak. It's x-raying grace. It looks beyond your fault and it sees your need. It's yesterday's grace. It's yielding grace. It's yearning grace. It's your grace. And it's a zillion other graces. Amen. Thank God for God's amazing grace. I'm glad there's grace for the sinner. There's grace for the saint. There's grace for the storms. There's grace for the sufferings. There's grace for the sorrow. There is God's amazing grace. There's grace in the morning. Grace in the noontime, grace at the nighttime. There was grace yesterday, there's grace today, there'll be grace tomorrow. There's grace for you and there's grace for me. There's joy to mine in this happy soul of mine since the Lord has forgiven and pardoned me. And the songwriter said, yes, there's grace for every need. Grace for you, grace for me, grace to love, grace to free. Thank God, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind but now I see and one day when I step off the old ship of Zion onto the sunny base of sweet deliverance I'll say I know how I made it I made it by grace now I like that word grace I like it so much I married a girl named grace amen but there's a lot of argument on what grace means some people want to take an acronym and say God's riches at Christ's expense I have no problem with that Some people say unmerited favor. I have no problem with that. One man said anytime God looks my direction, that's grace. I have no problem with that. But I don't think we have to go to a dictionary to find a definition of the word grace. For here in our text this morning, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9, Paul tells you what the grace of God is. For ye know... He said, you know it. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. For a few moments this morning, I want to preach on getting to know grace. He said, you know it. Let's get to know it a little bit this morning. What is the grace of God? Well, first of all, we must emphasize the prosperity of Jesus Christ. For you know, look at your your Bible. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though... He was rich. This speaks of his prosperity. Now we know that Jesus Christ is rich, but how rich is he? You think about some of the richest people in the world. Elon Musk is currently right now uh, the most wealthiest man in the world at $251 billion. Jeff Bezos, until his divorce was, <laughs> that'll do it to you, alimony, uh, $151 million. Bill Gates is worth $106 billion. Larry Ellison, $101 billion. And Warren Buffett is worth $97 billion. That is the top five in America uh, of rich men. But uh, how, how, do we, how do we begin to put a price on how rich the Lord Jesus was? Well, we must consider the city of his home. Where is he from? 
come. Maybe we can get an idea of his wealth by considering where he is from. Well, in his country, the streets are paved with gold and the walls are made of jasper. They make their gates out of pearl and their studs are foundations of rocks with gems. They have a great white throne and God is there. There is a crystal, crystal stream and a tree of life. Many crowns are placed upon his head in that celestial city. His ministers are as a flame of fire, comprised of countless angels, hosts, beings with great beauty, intelligence, and power who hang upon his words and rush to do his will. Enormous galaxies ablaze with stars pulsating with energy, hurtled through the vast voids of space at his command. They are, they are all empires of his. Billions upon billions of worlds hold their treasure troves for him. He was rich all right, but that does not even begin to scratch the surface of how rich he was. I'm telling you this morning, when you consider the city of his home, where he's from, we get a small idea of how rich he was. But then you consider not only the city of his home, but consider the creation of his hands. He has it all. You know why? He made it all. The Bible said in Haggai 2.8, the Lord speaking, The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord. Psalm 50 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle of a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. I'm going to tell you, how rich is he this morning? He owns every gold cavern. He owns every silver mine. He owns every diamond cave. He owns it all. As one fellow said, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he owns the taters that's growing in them hills. Amen. He owns it all, the city of his home and the creation of his hands. But think about the comparison of his honor. You think about over there in the book of 1 Kings chapter number 10, that the queen of Sheba came from the south to see Solomon, and she wanted to see the wealth and the wisdom of Solomon. And they tell us that Solomon's worth somewhere around two point one. One trillion dollars. And she saw all that. The Bible said when she saw how he ascended up into the temple. When she saw the servants around his table. You know what she said about all that? When she saw all this wealth and all his riches and all his wisdom. She said the half was not told unto me of all thy wisdom. But honey one day Jesus is preaching in Matthew chapter number 12. And he said y'all think a lot of Solomon. But I'm going to tell you right now. There is one greater than Solomon here. In all of Solomon's wisdom. And in all of Solomon's wealth and in all of Solomon's pomp and proper etiquette and all those things there is one greater than Solomon there is one that is higher than the highest and he's greater than the greatest when Isaiah saw me saw him sitting on the throne and the cherubims and the seraphims threw around saying holy 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 Lord God almighty which is which was which is to come I'm talking about if we're going to consider what the grace of God is we must see his prosperity Though he was rich, we consider his prosperity. But secondly, not only do we see the prosperity of Jesus Christ, we see the poverty of Jesus Christ. Watch your Bible. We're just right, staying in this verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, there's his prosperity. Yet for your sakes, he became poor. There's his poverty. Jesus Christ had everything, yet for our sakes he gave everything up. We have quickly examined how rich Christ was, but how poor was he? Well, when we consider the description of his arrival, 
We understand that it, an angel came to Mary and Joseph and told them that the virgin would conceive and bring forth a child. And she should bring forth her firstborn son. They were going to call his name Jesus. But that night in Bethlehem, there were no hospitals. There was no room in the inn. So where would the king of glory be born? Where would the richest man in eternity be born? Where would this king have entered into this world? In a little cave off somewhere amongst the stocks, livestock, and the animals, and the donkeys, and the goats, and the sheep, and all, all the nastiness of that room. That's where Mary brought forth her firstborn born son. In fact, the family he was born into was so poor that when they went to the temple ten days later, they did not. They were not even financially able to bring a lamb. They had to bring two turtle doves, which was the smallest offering you could bring. He was born into poverty. Why? Yet for your sakes, he became poor. Oh, when you consider the description of his arrival, but then when you consider the details of his abasement. Here's what Jesus said. The foxes have holes. And the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. There ain't a one of us that can say that this morning. We have all had a place. We've not all always had all the money we wanted. We've not always had all the things we wanted. But I'll tell you one thing. There's never been a time we have lacked a place to lay our head. We had a family member. We had some way. We had somewhere to lay our head and sleep at night. But the Lord Jesus many a time spent the night out in the garden somewhere because nobody invited him home. He did not have an earthly home. He borrowed a stable to be born in. When he wanted to feed the hungry multitudes, he borrowed a lad's lunch. When he wanted to confound the critics, he borrowed a penny. When he wanted to teach the people that pressed around him, he had to borrow Simon Peter's boat and launch out in the deep to prevent being pressed into the when he wanted to fulfill an ancient prophecy he had to go tell the disciples to go find a donkey that no man had ever rode on when he needed, when he needed a cross he took Barabbas' cross when he needed a place to be buried he had to borrow Joseph Arimathea's tomb but honey he only bought one thing on this earth and he purchased you and I with his own blood he purchased according to Acts 20 28 with his own blood thank God he made one purchase but honey he made it count thank God for that this morning the prosperity of Jesus Christ the poverty of Jesus Christ when we consider the details of his abasement and the description of his arrival but I'm going to tell you how poor he was the debt that he assumed every man, woman, boy and girl has a sin debt on them that they cannot pay Jesus Christ to add to his poverty to add to the fact that he had no place to lay his head. To add to the fact that he had to borrow everything he used. In fact, Luke chapter 7 teaches that a group of women followed him and they made the garments that our Lord wore. To add to that poverty at Calvary, he assumed the sin debt of all humanity for all eternity. From Adam and Eve to the Garden of Eden, to the last person that will sin in that millennial kingdom. Every sin he assumed the debt of it. That added to his poverty. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. Yet for your sakes he became poor. We're getting to know grace this morning. The prosperity of Jesus Christ. 
the poverty of Jesus Christ. But notice the last half of our verse. The purpose of Jesus Christ. That ye, through his poverty, might be rich. You see, the reason he became poor, the reason he gave everything up, was so that I could have what he had. Not so I could become a god, but I could be made in his image and in his likeness. Now, we will leave this text for just a moment, but I believe it is necessary to go to Ephesians chapter number 1 to further emphasize the purpose of Jesus Christ. Paul, writing to the church of Ephesus, makes this statement. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings uh, in heavenly places in Christ, according as He had chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, where He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Watch verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sin. Watch it now. According to the riches of his grace. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. Yet for your sakes he became poor. That we might, that we who were poor might be made rich. I'm going to tell you it was the just dying for the unjust. It was the godly dying for the ungodly. It was the son of God dying to the hands of the sons of men. So the sons of men could become the sons of God. What is grace? That's grace this morning. What did I receive? I received affection in these verses. He said we were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. Somebody said, well, does that mean that Jesus uh, picked some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell? No, that don't mean that at all. But here's what that means. That speaks of His desire to save every man, woman, boy, and girl. You are chosen. You are elected. You can be saved if you choose to be saved. Amen. We're not Calvinists and we're not hyper-Calvinists. We're Christians. Billy Mitchell said you can't be a Calvinist and a Christian. Because Jesus ain't a Calvinist. Some of y'all don't even know what a Calvinist is. And boy, I wish, I wish I could be like you. Amen. <laughs> they believe that Jesus created some people to go to hell and some people to go to heaven. And neither one of these groups can do anything about that. And they preach in our churches. and they Not in our church. But they, amen. <laughs> I ain't having Tom Gillen preach for me. Somebody say amen. But they preach in a lot of churches around here and all that kind of stuff. And that's fine. God can have who they want to. But I'm telling you, he said that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Somebody said, well, if he knows who's going to be saved, don't, don't he know? Yeah, he knows, but that don't affect their choice. God gives man a free will. So I said, well, if you're chosen, then you're automatically saved. What are you going to do with Judas Iscariot? Jesus looked at him, the 12 disciples, said, I've chosen you, and one of you is a devil. All 12 were chosen, Brother David, but one of them didn't receive him. 
Amen, that's right. Boy, I wish I'd come up with that, but I read it in a book. Amen. But I will take credit for it. That's pretty good. Amen. I'm just telling you, there's affection. But Sammy Allen said, every sinner is elected, but they must choose to accept the fact that they have been elected. So I said, what does that mean? All oh, that means he wants you. He wants you. He wants to save you. He wants to change you. He wants to make a difference in your life. I'm talking about the riches of that grace that he made me rich. There is affection, but there is adoption in verse 5. Having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. We preached this before. We, nobody gets to the family of God by being adopted. You get born again. You get regenerated. But after, here's why. Because an adopted baby cannot enjoy the rights of being in a family. My little girl is enjoying some benefits of being in my family, but she's not enjoying every benefit. She can't eat T-bone steaks yet. Amen. There's certain things she's not able to have yet, but as she goes, she's not able to have a car yet or a driver's license, but as she grows, those things will come. But watch this. We got born again, and then he adopted us, giving us legal rights to all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Then there's acceptance to the praise and glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. I gave this story when I preached to Ephesians, but I read it again last night, and I liked it so good. Ivor Powell said that in World War II, women in the country of Wales were trying to immigrate to, uh, to America. They felt as though their lives would be better in America. But these women were denied passports to America. So they secretly stowed away on ships bound for New York City. But then they were discovered and shipped back home. But when Germany declared war for the USA after Pearl Harbor, thousands of American soldiers soon arrived in Great Britain to, to fight in Europe. Many of these British women fell in love with these American soldiers and GIs. And they got married in droves. They called these women, you can look them up, GI Brides. They became very famous. So you know what the U.S. did? They sent special ships over there to England to retrieve these women who had married an American soldier. Women who were once rejected and denied access because of their birth were now accepted because of their marriage. When they arrived in the U.S., red carpets were rolled out for them. Great crowds cheered to welcome them to their country. You know what? Basically nothing had changed about them except they had fell in love with somebody. Hey, 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 there's a lot of people trying to get to God in their own merits. They'll try to stow away to heaven, but nobody can stow away to heaven. But I'll tell you, if you'll fall in love with the Nazarene, if you'll meet Jesus Christ, you'll be accepted not because of you, who you are, but because of who He is. Amen. We are accepted. And then there's the atonement in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. There's a lot of things we could say here. But I would like to emphasize this morning that during this Christmas season, during this holiday rush, every not just during this time of year, but every day we live, we should be reminded of God's amazing grace. You see, Calvinists want to call themselves, say they're grace preachers. But what they preach is not grace. Preaching that your daughter is predestined to go to hell, and there ain't nothing she can do about it, but my daughter is predestined to go to heaven, and there ain't nothing, that's not grace. 
You know what grace is? Grace is he was rich, but he became poor. That we might be made rich through the riches of his grace. What is grace this morning? It's unmerited favor. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. But I'll tell you, I'm, just, I'm partial to what Paul says in our text this morning. The one who had everything that didn't need anything. How many of y'all got somebody you're buying for Christmas that you don't know what to buy them because they have everything? You know how you do that? Give them money. <laughs> Amen. Money is the gift that keeps on giving until you spend it. <laughs> and then it's over. But, I mean, what do you get somebody that has everything? He didn't need anything. But he willingly laid aside all those riches. The man, think about this, the man that created the oceans and the rivers cried from the cross, I thirst. The man who made the fish and made the bread said, do we have any loaves? Do we have any fish? Made all, why? Why did he do that? Though he was rich, his prosperity, his poverty, yet for your sakes he became poor. And his purpose, that we who were poor might be made rich. Thank God for his amazing grace this morning. You know, if anybody gets saved, they get saved by grace. Because Paul said, for by grace are you saved through faith. Thank God for his amazing grace. Grace is what reaches beyond the scope of man, reaches down in the depths of sin and lifts man out. Brother Matthew's coming to the piano. We're living in a wicked day. I get that. I get it. Things are bad. Sin is abounding, is it not? A lot of wickedness around. Seems like, I mean, and, and I, I've made a pledge not to be political in the pulpit, but this whole trade for this WNBA player, who cares about the WNBA to start with? Who cares about the NBA to start with? But they trade for this play. It wasn't even a good trade. We got soldiers and things that just don't know wickedness, sin, debauchery on every hand. Sin's abounding. But Paul said, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Abound means it's growing. But Paul added that much more to emphasize it may get bad, but God's grace will always be greater than sin. Let's stand together. I appreciate your attention. I preached 30 minutes today.